Hello and welcome to Show and Tell, the movie discussion podcast from the RPG Academy. I am Michael and this is Show and Tell episode number four, In the Name of the King, A Dungeon Siege Tale. So after we had completed the first three of our Show and Tell podcast, where we went through the first three Dungeons and Dragons officially licensed movie, we decided to move on to some what we thought might be equally bad movies, but were in some ways better, but not in all ways. Uh, we hope you guys enjoy the discussion that we had with the, uh, with the movie, and if you would like to share this experience with us, if you are a patron of ours, we do have uh, the opportunity for you to participate in these episodes, so please check out our Patreon page over at patreon.com slash the RPG Academy and see if this is something you would want to do uh, to become part of the RPG Academy shows. So anyway, on to show and tell, episode number four, In the Name of the King, a Dungeon Siege Tale. Welcome to Movie Night! All right. Um, so <laughs> this is our, uh, what well, it's kind of weird. There should have been some really awesome guitar riffs right there. Oh, meow, and some meow, fireworks, meow. maybe. In, yep. There we go. I'll American look. Eagles in the background. <laughs> yeah. So basically the Colbert Report intro is what we need there. Definitely, yeah. Okay, I'll see if I can make that happen. So I think we have a little bit of a branding problem here because the name of the podcast, when it comes out, is Show and Tell. But Movie Night is what we call the discussions that we have that leads to that podcast. So this is movie night right now, you and I real time reality. But for those of you listening to this at a future date, you're listening to show and tell episode four in the name of the King. Are you guys confused yet? Cause it doesn't get any better. You just blew your mind. You just blew my fucking mind. <laughs> There we go. We are uh, we are popping the cork on the explosives early. Based on this movie, probably will not be the last <laughs> F word that is said. Uh, so let's just go ahead and throw it, throw it out now. Probably not a uh, youngster approved podcast today. Nope. My, my theory is that we keep our regular shows pretty user friendly and safe for work. Uh, we're definitely not opposed to the grown up language, but... I personally try to keep it professional when we're doing a table topic and especially an interview. But when it comes to movie night, I'm going to fucking have some fucking fun. <laughs> uh, I kind of agree with you. I do think that we've, uh, we, we, you know, we, we have tried and I've tried myself to, which our table topics, I do a very good job. My, the actual plays, I do curse probably more than I should. But in these, it's really hard to keep them in check because there's just so many WTF moments to begin with. So let's get into it. It's been a while since we've done one of these, so I don't know if we actually had like a thing uh, for the other intro. So uh, we'll just we'll just make our own new thing here. So what movie night is? If if you are the uninitiated, is it hopefully once a month, but certainly once a quarter? Um, Caleb and I get together and we watch a really bad movie. That has something to do with role-playing games or is some way connected. So for our first three movies, we did the actual official Dungeons and Dragons movies one, two, and three. Uh, since we've ran out of those movies, we've now uh, stepped over and we are starting with the In the Name of the King, a Dungeon Siege Tale series, of which there are also three. So those are going to be our next three movies. If you are a patron 
of hours, then you are invited to play along, watch the movie. And then on this episode where we're going to talk about it, if you're a patron at any level, then you get an invite to join us. Uh, we've had success on the last couple having some patrons join us. Unfortunately, there were none of our patrons that were available tonight for this episode. So it's just the Caleb and Michael show, but that's fine. We will carry on without them. So first thing off the bat, Caleb, uh, go to hell because you're the one suggested this piece of shit movie. <laughs> yeah, you know, I figured it was fair that I uh, put us through something pretty horrible. I mean, we had to, I had to sit through the D&D movies and I knew those how horrible those were. Uh, so I think we should start with a an attempt at a a summary of the movie, something a little bit legit just to give people an idea of what the film is before we delve into the horrors that we have uh, witnessed and sat through. Uh, well, it is our tradition that I will blabber and then you will sum up. So it only makes sense that we do we, we want to skip the blabbering. Uh, I mean, we can, we can, you just want, you just want to sum up. Do you want to take that and say, well, how, how about this? Let me sum up. And then we'll we'll blabber afterwards. We'll just reverse it this time. Let me explain. No, there's there's too much. Let me sum up. <laughs> Let me sum up. We need that as an audio clip, and that'll be my intro. <laughs> Holy shit! Okay, so, <laughs> I'm on that. Yep, make it happen. <laughs> so, in the name of the king, a dungeon siege tale is a very typical fantasy trope, sword and sorcery movie. If you don't know anything about it, I think it's based on a video game in the fact that it says a Dungeon Siege tale and Dungeon Siege is a video game. Other than that, I think it has nothing to do with the video game. This movie really has little to do with anything. Uh, it was <laughs> directed by you, Bowl, which tells you right there what you're in store for. Basically, this is a super typical fantasy movie. We start with a an unassuming farmer who is especially skilled at combat for no apparent reason. Uh, there is a kingdom at war with an old king and a duke who is drunk all the time and wants to take over, power-hungry kind of character. Uh, there's an evil sorcerer who's kind of playing both sides and trying to take over. He has a an army at his disposal. There's a bunch of fighting, a bunch of people die, and the good guys win. I mean, I, I know that sounds stupid to summarize it that way, but there's very little content to this movie. It's 100% the most typical, classic sword and sorcery fantasy trope you can imagine. That's it. I mean... Here, here's a good guy. Let's have a fight. Here's the bad guy. He's going to monologue. Here's the drunk guy who's conniving and his scheming. And, and here's, here's the captain of the guard. There's a duel. Here's the wizard and, and his daughter and, oh, blah, blah, blah. And it's, it just hurts talking about it a little bit, to be honest. The, the thing that, that I don't know that translates, if there's anyone out there that has not watched this movie, the thing that Caleb is not coming that's not coming across very well in this description is because he's he's given you the character names or description and not the actors playing these roles. So in the role of the farmer who can fight for no reason, it's Jason Statham. 
And his adopted father, Ron fucking Perlman, uh, the king, Burt Reynolds. Yeah, that who, spoiler alert, is his actual father. Is his actual father. Ray Liotta as the evil magician. John Rhys Davies as the good magician. Lily Sobieski as the... Uh, was she the daughter of the mages who's having sex with the other mages? Kind of weird. Matthew Lillard, who's sure. most famous from the Scream movies, but I I know him best from the Scooby-Doo movies as Shaggy, who he's awesome, is the of nephew course. of the king. Like, this movie, I, I, how, why? Like, what, what have these people done in their lives that made them have to be a part of this movie? Like, at what point did they say, huh, this seems like a good idea? Yeah, that's that's what baffled me when I first watched this movie and every time I've watched it since then. Oh, you also forgot uh, Christina Loken, the Terminatrix, was in there. Ah, I didn't know that was her. I, I didn't recognize uh, her from that. Yeah, that was she was the uh, random half-barbarian, half-kind-of-druid. Yeah, were they like wood nymphs or druids? Wood chick. I don't know. They were kind of Amazons, but they weren't really Amazons because all they did was control vines yeah. in the forest. They kept casting entangle spells. Yeah, yeah. She she also had a power of throwing a rope across a mountain. So, good for her. <laughs> <laughs> yes. There are so many things. Like if we're, yep, if we're, you just remember. If we're going to nitpick. You just remembered that part, yeah, didn't you? Well, I actually tweeted that out. I, I had like a live tweet going on. Which I couldn't take this movie in in a large chunk. It it hurt my brain. So if you noticed, my my t- live tweeting took like four hours because I would only watch like twenty minutes, and then I had to stop because my brain hurt, and I would start back. And so over a four hour period, I've got a whole bunch of tweets, some with screenshots of some just crazy stuff that just like hit me in the moment as funny. And that one in particular, I didn't actually call that one out, but I did think, did she just throw that rock a mile away? And then what they do next, as I said, like Ray's plan of get her from the Ghostbusters was more thought out and had a better chance of success than what their what their plan was. I don't even know how to describe what they did. It broke the laws of reality, of physics, of, of good taste and decorum. Like, there are so many things wrong with what they did there. But Michael, Michael, you're forgetting the most important part. Magic. Ah, we'll see, but that's, that's the issue. No, no, because there was a magus standing there Who's like, uh, there's a cave right there, but I don't need that cave. I can just, you know, teleport in. And then he just teleports away. Couldn't he have, I don't know, taken them to the cave before he did that? He is a magus. He can do that kind of thing. But no, he's like, uh, you've got four miles worth of rope, a rock, and a hot chick. You're fine. And then he just flies away. <laughs> yep. Which, which left the... Wood nymph, Amazon, barbarian, sort of druid to throw a rope across a mountain and then jump off the mountain and swing across like Indiana Jones on a four mile long whip. <laughs> it was ridiculous. It, what was, I mean, there are so many things that are ridiculous about that. And we've jumped to the end of the movie. I mean, we've skipped so much ridiculousness. But basically, what happens is after she throws this rope that has a, has a rock tied to it she throws that rock like a mile and a half then they take like a giant running leap 
holding onto the rope. So they're swinging in a parabolic arc, pretty much like perpendicular to the ground. They didn't really go down any, which is not right. And then at the last sort of moment, she, again, defying physics, sort of pulls back, causing the last part of the rope that he's connected to to whip forward, giving him enough forward momentum to fly straight, slam into the rock wall where he holds on and then climbs the rest of the way up to this cave entrance. Yep. That's exactly what happened. And I I don't think, you know, I don't think we need to really explain any more about it because (laughs) just listening to that that, was just miserable. That, that's so. pretty much it. So, again, you know, kind of walking through the movie. <laughs> I can't even do it. So, the character's okay. name, Jason Statham's no. character's name okay. is, is so Farmer. Here, here, <laughs> and that's all they ever call him is Farmer. Why? Because he's a farmer. He No, no, he does. He does have a real name. It's mentioned once at about... Uh, two-thirds of the way through the movie, right before they start the final fighting. But, uh, but yeah, he's, he's a farmer. Be- and his name is Farmer because he's a farmer. But he's also really good at throwing boomerangs. I don't know why. <laughs> I don't know how that factors <laughs> well, into no, farming. There are so many things. Like, he, he fights like a trained assassin the whole movie. Like, I, you know, again, I'm repeating some of my tweets here, but basically this movie starts out like the Wheel of Time series, if Randall Thor was already a badass, he's a farmer. He gets attacked by these Trolloc type of things. They start burning the village down. But rather than having to run away, he like goes Jason Statham on their ass and just starts beating the hell out of them. And then, okay, I know boomerangs, they're cool, right? They're exotic. I get it. But the way boomerangs are designed to work is that if you miss your target, it comes back to you or at least towards you so you don't have to go and, and get it. If your boomerang hits the thing that you threw it at, it stops. That's not how it worked in this movie. He would throw it, and it would hit sometimes one, two, three, maybe four or five different targets, like Captain America's shield, and then it would come back to him. They don't work that way. Well, remember, Michael, this movie came out in the late 2000s. I think it's safe to say we were still riding high on... uh, on that train from Xena and Hercules. And Xena taught us that things you throw can defy physics if you're awesome. Ah. And I'm pretty sure Jason Statham follows that rule. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I am the fluff master, and I'm all about the fluff and the story. You're the crunch master. So if anyone should be offended by that, it would be you, excepting if this is a fourth edition magical boomerang. Because as we know, all magical weapons in 4th edition were returning, and if you threw them, they'd come back to your hand. Well, yeah, I'm pretty sure he went to the same shop in the third Dungeons & Dragons movie, and the shopkeep was like, hey, do you want this Paragon-level boomerang? And the dude was like, sure, why not? I mean, that's that's how they they sell stuff in shops, right? That's normal. Before we meet Ron Perlman, we meet uh, the farmer's son... In some of the most sappy, overwrought sentimentalism. 
Where I, I again, I from, said from the second this kid comes on screen, I just wanted him to die. I didn't care. Well, you get I knew your he wish. was going to die, yeah. and I didn't give a shit about. I it. I was only confused because I thought the wife would die too. I didn't realize that we were going Old Testament Book of Job uh, redemption. That even though yes, his son was killed and everyone's sad at the end of the movie because she's pregnant with another son, it's fine and no one really cares anymore. Oh, spoilers! Spoilers! Sorry, <laughs> she lives. There's another kid. Wait, am I, wait am I, are we spoiling the movie or the Book of Job? Both, maybe? I don't know. Both are made up. It's okay. <laughs> Your words, not mine. Yup. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, so you know the kids are going to die. Again, I thought the wife was going to die, too, but I uh, definitely knew the kid was going to die. When he said, I really love our dad, or our father, I'm, I, I, God damn it, what did he actually say? It was so awesome, awful. He's like, oh, oh, you're... you're there's a you're it's a little bit later uh the kid and the mom go off to market by themselves to, because to we, sell the turnips to sell the turnips and the kid says something about I'm so glad that we're his I'm family so glad or something farmers my dad yeah some yeah it's so sappy and stupid at that point, I I was really just hoping bad guys would spring out of the turnips and kill them. <laughs> yeah, right, right in there, which is kind of what happened. So then, uh, you know, Randolph Orr, I mean Farmer, uh, starts having these sort of weird premonitions that uh, there's something in the forest, which is funny because you can actually see them. Like when the camera, like normally like a horror movie, when someone hears something, they'll turn the camera and you can just see like the leaves blowing. No, you can actually see them walking around. He can't apparently, but we could as the audience. And there's a moment where he's walking through a field. Now, this is like a field. It's not a, I should say like a, like a, a clearing. So it's farmland. It's not, there's not crops. There's not corn stalks. There's not hay bales. It's just a big field. And he looks over his shoulder. There's nothing there. He walks four or five feet, looks over his shoulder. Nothing there. Goes another couple of feet. Suddenly there's a trollic behind him. Apparently they can turn invisible. But this is when you see that he's a badass. He just starts like going all Jason Statham wanting. And then Ron Perlman at some point shows up and they're fighting more of them. And, uh, uh, one of our, uh, one of our patrons, Scott, he was also watching it and live tweeting it. And he actually had one of, one of my favorite lines too is he's like, lock the door. Uh, your house is made out of hay. <laughs> What's locking the door going to do for you? <laughs> we, we should also point out that Ron Perlman. Who's just Ron Perlman? He's not being a character. They just gave him medieval clothes and a random farm tool to use as a weapon. But he's Ron Perlman, so it doesn't matter. Pretty much. However, uh, he, he, he does have kind of a weird mohawk thing going on, which is a little strange. But it's Ron Perlman, so I don't care. <laughs> uh, however, one of, one of his first lines, he's at dinner with these people and the kid says something smart ass and Ron Perlman says something about give me the chicken and makes this horribly moronic stupid face uh, and goes give me the chicken and I I just had to turn the movie off at that point because it's so fucking stupid and I don't know why they let him do that because <laughs> he's, he's Ron a pretty big star Perlman he can, I, I firmly believe that he actually wasn't supposed to be in this movie, that he was like on a set next door <laughs> and he just like wandered in one day and they just like, like a stray cat. They just kept feeding him. He just kept coming back. 
No, I, I thought that was how Ray Liotta got into this movie. Uh, no, that was cocaine. <laughs> oh, that was just cocaine. Yeah. He, he showed up in his crazy Liberace pajamas <laughs> and is like, hey, what the fuck? Can I, can I snort some shit? And they're like, well, yeah, but you have to pretend to be a wizard. And he's like, I do that every Tuesday. What the fuck is wrong with you? Doug. Like, okay. So now having said that, one of my favorite parts of the movie was actually the magic duel between... Magus one and Magus two, which was John Rise Davies and um and Captain Kirk. I mean uh Ray, Ray Liotta, which they did it with swords. Which yeah, you know, you could argue that magical duels should not be as mundane as that. But I thought it was actually kind of cool the way they stood there and they made the swords fight around them, and then some of the magical things that happened with the sword. Because despite how terrible this movie is, and it is ungodly terrible, it had m- moments that were actually pretty good. Partly because you had really good actors in most of the roles to the point that they, you know, it, they're competent actors working with what they had. And I know you or UV or however you say his name, Yule Bowl, however you say that has taken a lot of crap for his movies. Cause most of them are awful to the point that he actually got into a, I think a pretty famous boxing match with a critic once for charity. And he probably beat the hell out of the critic. I don't think the directing was in any way responsible for how terrible this movie was. They had good actors, decent directing. The script, oh my God, like, did anyone read it? Like, literally anybody read it before they went into production. I I think that was the problem. I I think no one read it, and it was just a first table read, and they happened to be in costumes, and there happened to be some cameras around, (laughs) and some green screens, because, I mean, why not? Um, I, I, I did read a little bit about the movie. Uh, there were apparently a lot of problems with the computer effects, the special effects that went into it. I, I guess they had to keep uh, shipping the work around to different production houses because people would either turn in really, really crappy work or farm it out to some third grade uh, third level kind of production company and keep passing the work off. So I think some of the problems were legitimate problems that did plague this movie. But in general, really good actors, or at least decent actors, should have been able to do something better than what we saw. I mean, you had Jason Statham in here. He had just done both uh, Transporter movies. He was just breaking into the American scene. He was a really awesome guy. He was a big name. People associated him with cool action and big fight scenes. So they gave him a bunch of fight scenes. There didn't need to be a reason. It was just, hey, let's have Jason Statham punch things for a little while. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it wasn't, again, it wasn't even like, you know, like he just was like, you know, he's, he's a farmer, so he's like muscular or tough or strong or resilient. You know, like if we we're making a and d character, you could say, well, I'm a, I'm a farmer as a background. So, you know, you're trying to justify your high strength. He was like a ninja, which there were ninja in the movie later, but he was just like a ninja in this movie. He just was like doing backflips and kicks. And I mean, it wasn't like he was just tough. He was a trained warrior with no explanation. The only explanation they give is that he's the son of the king, which would make a lot more sense if the king was also a badass. No, he's just, you know, the bandit. 
He's Burt fucking Reynolds. That's badass enough. Uh, but, but Burt Reynolds doesn't really do anything. I mean, he is charismatic. He's a good king. He leads from the front, which is always a, a, a well-respected trait in a military leader. Uh, not always the smartest, but respected. But he wasn't like a badass. So it was just, I, uh, I didn't, you know, like I said, they, they just wanted Statham to be Statham. Oh, absolutely. It, it was also established in the story that Jason Statham's character, spoiler, is actually the son of uh, Burt Reynolds King, long lost son. Uh, and apparently he was lost during some huge combat, huge fight when he was around, I, I want to say he was like five or six. So until they brought up that point, I thought, well, okay, maybe he grew up in the military and he had all this training and then he left and he just wanted to farm some turnips for a little while. So maybe that's where he got all his training from. But no, he was a toddler when he when he got separated from the king. So he grew up on his own. Yeah, his combat is is ridiculous and makes no sense. Absolutely. Makes no sense. For a movie that literally has ninjas in it, like ninjas. Oh, yeah. And, and he's better than all the ninjas put together. Yeah. Now, I, I do want to say this. If we look at this movie as a Dungeons and Dragons campaign... It's a better Dungeons and Dragons movie than the movie that was officially licensed to Dungeons and Dragons. Because you really do have a campaign start to finish. I mean, yeah, it really is. It reminds me a lot of like someone's first D&D campaign. You are, you know, it, like, I, I love yeah. the hero's journey. That's it, Except for he doesn't start off as a farmer. He starts off as a badass who happens to be on a farm. Um, those are not necessarily the same thing, but yeah, I mean, he, he has an arc, he gets attacked, he goes on the road, he has an adventure, finds out he has a destiny. I mean, those are classic tropes for your hero's journey. It, it, I mean, you're right. It's, it's basically like a D and D campaign, um, come to life much, much better than what the actual D and D movies were. I'll give you that a hundred percent. Yeah. Uh, especially towards the end of the movie where there's all the, the, the fighting starts picking up and the armies start clashing together. You've got the very classic soldiers. You've got the huge army of goblins or orcs or whatever they were supposed to be. You've got ninjas. You've got crazy Amazon barbarian tree women. You've got fighting wizards. You've got the one hero who has to fight through the ranks of all the goblins and face off with the main bad guy in final combat. I mean, at one point, Burt Reynolds King even says, uh, yeah, we'll never fight through them, but a small party of heroes <laughs> can probably get through the front lines. Literally, the every D&D fucking game in the world where they're like that, they're like, why are we sending four adventurers off? Because a small dagger. Oh, yeah. my God. And then they had, yeah, they had a skill challenge. By law, legally, that has to be said in every D&D game. Or the world ends. I mean, that is that is scientific fact. But literally, like I, again, going back to my tweets, that when they get to the rope bridge that has fell, I was like, oh well, cool, it's a skill challenge, because that's exactly yeah, what absolutely. that was. It was a skill challenge, and then they failed. They rolled a critical one, but they failed forward because they didn't just die. It just created an additional complication. So a plus uh, writer for your D and D campaign failing forward. That's why you're supposed to do. Yeah, we we should also point out that what you're referring to there, there's two different scenes that involve improbable traversal 
of a mountain canyon via rope. The first one is where Jason Statham slides across a rope bridge on his leather belt and is totally fine. But then Ron Perlman falls a billion miles into a river and he's also fine. He's a, well, not just him, but uh, Orlando Bloom was also with him. At least that's... or. He, right. He kind of looks like Orlando Bloom. He sure looked like Orlando Bloom. If Orlando Bloom ate a different Orlando Bloom right before shooting started, maybe. He looked kind of swole. <laughs> like, but he definitely, yeah, he it, was definitely yeah. Orlando Bloom-ish as Legolas. So yeah, they so they basically went together. And because of the weight, it kind of created like a V. So they went to the center rather than going all the way across. And then they let go and they fell a million miles into the river. And And just before that, he's like, we should go around. And the other guy's like, I will lose a day. And yet somehow they fall and they lose like 12 minutes. <laughs> like, like I get falling was a lot of it. Yeah. But it, they still had to climb up the other side. So clearly it really wasn't that big of a detour. They should have just went down to begin with. Yeah. And when Jason Statham had gotten across the, the canyon successfully, when he sees that his buddies are falling, I mean, he runs right to the bottom of the mountain. There's no time difference. Oh, yeah. He's just like, oh, they fell. I better get down there. Bam, he's down there. Yeah, he literally gets down there before they get done swimming out. Yeah. Yeah. So, I don't know. Yeah. I- totally stupid. And that and that whole part was just played for laughs because the, he uh, Jason uh, skids across the rope on his belt and then Ron Perlman goes. But then the Legolas looking dude goes two seconds after Ron Perlman starts and... Ron Perlman stops because he's a big heavy ass and the kid just smacks into his back and then they start falling. So that was totally the kid's fault. Oh, and that and that's classic first D&D party mistakes. Uh, one, you always go one at a time so that you don't have those situations. Yep. And two, the first guy across always throws a second rope back that he can attach because then they could have pulled them over and you would not have had to have relied completely on gravity um, to... to to get for that to happen and if they fell you would have been tied off so again D campaign classic tropes here but some very uh normal innocent mistakes that would be made from a first time adventuring party oh yeah absolutely i mean this is a uh this is a textbook example of the first time group playing dungeons and dragons they went and bought the starter kit they, they just read through the pre-gen characters the guy who's running it doesn't really know the rules yet, so he's playing off the classics. It's his first game. It's the player's first game. It's exactly what happens. Oh, yeah. My, my background is a farmer, but I'm a fighter, so I need to be good at fighting. Ron Perlman's character was soldier, because I think they hinted that he might have been a soldier previously. But he's this, like older man who used to be a soldier. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure who Legolas was before. But definitely, there's there's a 5e vibe, even though this is seven, eight years ago. There's definitely a 5e vibe in this uh, in this this movie, which are some of the highlights. Because I already mentioned, I thought that the um, the, the wizard's duel was kind of cool. The other part that I actually kind of liked was uh, the scene between Jason Statham and Burt Reynolds, where we learned that he's his son. I actually thought that was pretty well done. All, all said, I was happy with it. See, I thought that was just a horribly cheesy, overdramatic movie moment that was so fake and ridiculous. What One of the things that we we have to explain about this entire movie, let alone specifically this part where uh, Jason Statham is having this, this horribly 
intimate, very powerful, super important moment with Bert, Bert Reynolds as Bert Reynolds is dying. Spoiler alert. The, the score of this movie makes no sense. There are times where the music is swelling to this horrible, dramatic, tension-filled moment and nothing happens. I mean, there, there's times where uh, uh, a guy is just walking and the music is swelling and it, it says, oh, something crazy is going to happen. And he just keeps walking. <laughs> well, it's also, no reason. it's also overpowering. Like the volume was way off. Maybe maybe it might have been my advice. I don't know. But I felt like the, the music score overpowered most of the scenes. Completely agree. The score does not really match oh, up. Oh, absolutely. And I kind of feel like maybe the, maybe they were going for a Merlin effect. The score was like Merlin. It was three questions behind. So it was always like a scene off. So whatever scene you were in, you were looking at the score from the scene previous. That's very possible. I think this goes back to what we said earlier, where no one involved with this movie really had the entire script or plan in front of them. So the actors just kind of show up and do stuff. They don't know what's going on in the other scenes. The orchestra is just recording randomly. The Foley artist and the sound guys are just copy-pasting music <laughs> files together. They don't know what the fuck's going on. Yeah, whoever did the CGI so like, oh, for, the, uh, for the vines literally used the same one every time. Like, no matter what the vine was supposed oh, yeah. to do, it was the same animation. It was the same footage. It, yeah, it was the same animation, the same footage over and over. Remember the old Scooby-Doo-era Hanna-Barbera cartoons? where it was just the same thing happening in every scene. That was exactly it. Yes. Every single time. And that's where we bring in the Druid, Dryad, Sprite, Spirit, Ranger, Barbarian, Amazon women, uh, who fly through the trees. Sure. Oh, yeah, because what happened after, after Jason Statham and Ron Perlman and whatever the fuck Legolas guy fall down the mountain, they walk through these woods. And Ron Perlman says, hey, we shouldn't be in these woods. It's kind of creepy. Totally broad daylight. Doesn't even matter. He's like, oh, there's stuff in the woods. We shouldn't be here. And Jason says, shut the fuck up, Ron Perlman. We're going through the woods because I have to save my wife. And then out of nowhere, they get attacked by these vines with the same animation. And that it does the, the, it does the very typical uh, rope around the foot trap that snaps you up in the air hanging upside down. It's the horribly cheesy, whoa! I, I would have declared that as an entangle spell, cast it with a higher slot to get the greater effect. Because it wasn't just, it didn't trap them to the ground and actually pick them off the ground. So that was what I saw happening there. Entangle at like a level two casting slot. Sure, why not? Let's give it some justification. Sure, That's yeah. totally fine. Yeah. And, and then, yeah. And then Lady Terminator in a leather bikini comes down. Cirque du Soleil, like... Yeah, it yeah, it was exactly a, a Cirque du Soleil rope or ribbon trapeze act where you would you climb the rope, you know, with the strength of your body and you hold yourself there in really weird positions. That's a really cool circus act. It's not necessarily a really cool movie thing to happen, but it did because that's just what happens in this movie. Yeah. Let's also not forget that Lady Terminator was half vampire Lady Blood Rain. Also in other Yule Bowl horrible adaption movies of other video games. So she just really had a string of bad luck. Poor girl. She seemed nice enough. Oh, yeah. She's super nice. But 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, we hang out for coffee and sandwiches. She's pretty cool. I just got some some bad scripts. Her, her agent was really lousy. <laughs> but yeah, so, so they meet up and they're in the jungle or not the jungle, the forest, but there's vines that are totally jungle vines. Yes. Yeah. And they're all like, oh, get out of our forest. We don't want people around here. And then halfway through the movie, they team up with everybody to fight the bad guys with the justification of, well, we don't want you around here, so now we're going to fight. Well, so you're not around here. Well, that, but if if you lose, then the bad guys will come into our forest. So it's in our interest to help you here. So yeah, uh, completely crazy. There's a there's a scene that's for, you know the Star Wars. Uh, we'll pretend that we have you captured, um, because because again, going back to a perfect D and D scenario, the three heroes are at the edge of the forest looking out at the the camp of the bad guys who've got prisoners and farmer believes his wife and maybe his son. No, he already knew his son was dead, but he, he thinks his wife might be in this. Yeah. Cause he buried his son. That's right. Very shallowly, but he, yeah, he, he did bury he buried his son in like a, a six inch grave. Yes. That, that was a very, one of the first things. Yes. Again, super dramatic moment. Crazy music had nothing to do with the drama of the scene. It, it was like a fucking circus marsh. And they were like burying this kid who has just been murdered by a monster. So the three guys are at the edge of the, uh, the forest watching this like mobile camp, and of course they get attacked by three of these trollic Krug cram things. Uh, because that's what happened in D and D. You'd have one for each of you. They don't raise the alarm. They're quickly taken out, and then they get the idea to put on some of the clothing and try to blend in, which again is classic D and D trope. And when Michael says they get the idea to put on their clothing and blend in, what he really means is they put on their helmet and their shirt. Nothing else. But then they walk kind of. That's it. Um, that was the extent of their disguise yeah, check. But it was raining and it right. was dark. Uh, well, that's just Ron Perlman's normal walk. What are you talking about? <laughs> yeah. So they were kind of going. That's just how Ron Perlman moves. Ah, ah, ah. And they were just trying to pretend like they uh, they were they were pushing him along. Um, God, I think at that point, yeah. that's when Ron Perlman and Orlando Bloom get captured. Uh, because their their disguise doesn't work out very well. Uh, yes, but farmer managed manages right. to- their disguise doesn't work out. They get captured. Yeah, uh, farmer goes and finds his wife in one of these very classic jail on on wagon wheels kind of thing. Uh, he finds her. He immediately gets clubbed over the head by one of these krugs, and she wakes up and she's like, "Oh, were you there? Oh." I guess I was dreaming and goes back and lays down for no apparent reason. <laughs> and like no one said, oh, no, there was a guy and, outside and, just a minute ago and he got clubbed in the head. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. She's just like, oh, I guess, whatever. And 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 that is not just a guess or us making a joke. In the next scene, when Ron Perlman and this Legolas looking dude are in the wagon next to her and she wakes up, she literally says, Oh my God, I thought I was dreaming. <laughs> I, I don't, I can't, I can't, I can't even, no. So, so this is where, and she, oh God, she was so horrible. Oh yeah, she's awesome. Oh, she was so horrible. Yeah. Every single time she had any kind of emotion or reaction to anything, it was just a miserably fake expression of her sorrow. Like when she finds out, the kid dies in that scene. Yeah. Because, yeah, that scene when she wakes up, like, oh, I thought we were dreaming. No, we just got captured trying to find you. She's like, oh, okay. Well, how's the kid? Uh, <laughs> that's exactly the face. <laughs> you can't see that 
because that was a visual gag on an audio podcast. <laughs> uh, but the, stop it. Classic Michael. The face she makes is so ridiculous. Yeah, it was basically Classic I, Michael. I can, yeah, I can say the, she's like, I can see somebody say, her going, so what's my motivation here? And the producer director going like, I don't know. <laughs> she's like, oh, okay. Ah, good. That's good. That's a wrap. Take that. Yeah, because here's here's how the scene plays out. She wakes up. She's like, oh, I thought I was dreaming. No, we're really here. We got our asses captured. And she's like, oh, okay. Uh, where's my son? Is he with my parents? Yes, he is. And the legless looking dude is like, yup, they're together. <laughs> but dead. they're dead. Exactly. Cause, well, but they're dead. Why would you say it that way? Like, if you're going to like play it off and be like yes they're together and don't give her anything to worry about and make her think that they're okay but no you go the yes they're together in hell i mean like why don't you say it that way that's awful yeah and and to which her only response is this horrible face that has nothing to do with actual emotion or sorrow <laughs> and then she just fake cries yeah. for about Three minutes. Yeah. It's pretty awful. Uh, and for and for the record, for the record, she was uh she was the chick from Mallrats. Yes, she was the girlfriend on Mallrats. Not the famous one. The other the one. The other one. That's that's all you need to know. <laughs> so then we transition over and this is where we start to figure out that there's something up with Farmer if we didn't already know. Uh he's tied to a tree he gets he doesn't get like fall hung he gets strung up by his neck and there's one of these creatures there that's being controlled by ray Liotta's magic uh ma magician guy and he's like why can't i see you i can see everyone i can't see you and somehow <laughs> jason statham like spins around unsheaths this guy's sword with spin that allows him because he's holding it behind his back because his hands are tied and he spins around hard enough that he cuts the rope that's holding him there, but not all the way through. Spins back around the other way, cuts the guy's throat, killing this guy. And then he's able to hold his breath long enough for the rope to now break under the, the, his weight and freeze himself. Still, no real explanation why being the son of a king makes you magically impervious. They don't really explore that anywhere. But that's our first true hint inside the narrative of the movie that there's something special about Farmer besides the fact that he's Jason Statham. Right. And to go backwards a little bit here, uh, throughout this, this whole first part of the movie, Ray Liotta as the wizard is off in his wizardy place somewhere. And we cut to him and he's in the middle of this giant swirling mass of computer generated effects. And he is controlling the generals of this Krug army. Uh, the Krugs are just general humanoids that are kind of hunched over and look kind of like goblins, kind of like orcs. And very early on in the movie, when they start to attack, uh, I think it's Ron Perlman's character that says, oh, the Krugs never act like this. They're not organized. They're just beasts. So someone must be behind this. And it's Ray Liotta's wizard character gave them armor, controls them. He essentially sees through the eyes of the general and talks through them. But he also just bounces from person to person to person. So it's not like he's only controlling the general. He's kind of controlling all of them. Right. And if you kill the one he's controlling in an awesome enough way, he gets knocked out of that guy and has to bounce to somebody else. Again, it doesn't make a lot of sense. So don't even try to understand it. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty much. Yeah. Uh, so obviously he gets away. Yeah, he gets away because the good wizard, 
Gimli, right? Yeah. Wasn't that Gimli? He's also uh, Sala from uh, Indiana Jones. Yeah. Right. Also uh, the one guy from Sliders. Yes. That was yeah. his name, actually, so, in the credits. That Sala, Sala, Sala Gimli, Sliders guy, wizard dude shows up and is like, oh, farmer, you're pretty awesome. I'm going to save you. And it's like, oh, okay. <laughs> and he does. And they're like, oh, this is this guy's the son of the king. Yes. Oh, okay. So, and we've, we've kind of ignored the subplot, but basically Matthew Lillard, Shaggy, uh, is the nephew of the king. He wants to be the king. So he's working with Ray Liotta's evil magic guy to get the king killed. So he assumes the throne. Uh, Ray Liotta poisons the king, but unknowingly, Matthew Lillard also eats some of the same food. So he also gets poisoned, but Ray Liotta saves him. So now Matthew Lillard believes that the king is dead. So he acts on his um, uh, goal. He basically takes command of the army, leads them out on the field, they think, to go fight the Crum or Krug or Crud, whatever they're called. But instead, he joins with them so that they will have an even greater army. But unfortunately for him, the king survives and rallies the rest of the troops and meets them on the field of battle. But there was never really an explanation as to who they were going out to fight. Right. Yeah, he just he just took like Legion they, they, 1 and 2 yeah. out in the field, uh, and then they joined with the other bad guy, evil people, army, and then a few minutes later, the king showed up and like, he ain't dead, and then most of the people switched sides back to the king, but because of the, the crud army... We still had the big battle fight. This is where the ninjas show up. Like, literally, ninjas show up. Right, because the ninjas are the king's super secret elite guard. And these are straight, black pajama, <laughs> face mask wearing ninjas that explode out of the ground with ninja stars. I w- and smoke. I, I would there like, was smoke. I would like to point out that the first time we see one of these guys is he is standing guard over the king after the king has been poisoned. And... Um, Gimli as the wizard comes in and he doesn't even turn around so if if Gimli had been I don't know an assassin he easily could have killed one the ninja to the king because he wasn't like he didn't even like look at him you know, like secret, secret service guy would like looked at him no he so either he's his senses are so aware he knew who he was or he was doing a terrible job of protecting the king I like to go with the latter because it's more fun oh absolutely and uh, I, I do have to point out that I'm a huge Matthew Lillard fan. I, I mean, in general, I'm a fan of everybody that was in this movie. But you got to love Matthew Lillard. And he honestly didn't do that bad a job. I mean, he really accurately portrayed that really slimy, conniving, manipulative duke who feels he's entitled to power and is sick of the old king is going to do anything he can to take over. I mean, he was pretty much drunk the entire time, possibly for real. I don't know. <laughs> I don't hang out with Matthew, so I, I don't have a frame of reference. Right. And he, he gets into this. I, I, I think his big scene, he gets into a duel. <laughs> no, the chick wasn't in it at that point. Oh, sorry. sorry. <laughs> his, his, big scene, his big scene is he gets in a duel with the, again, very stereotypical, tropey captain of the guard. With a scar that and Matthew Laird gave him as a child. Oh, yeah, that was their background. Their background was they grew up together and Matthew Lillard was a dick. And because he was the uh, son of, or the nephew of the king, imperial law, he wasn't allowed to actually hit him back. Right, <laughs> yeah. And then and that's that's kind of the, 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 the catch of the fight is that they, they think that... Um, 
Matthew Lill- they caught Matthew Lillard's character. Well, actually, and they said, "Oh, we're going to bring him to justice." Well, yeah, we actually have to take a step and back. They have the duel because my one of my favorite parts of this movie is during the battle, um, the king is fighting off some of the the Krug, and Matthew Lillard takes his longbow, and like we go into a Looney Tunes bet for a couple minutes as he's firing this longbow at the king, and it's just like going off into all these random directions, and he's missing, and he's getting flabbergasted, and finally, like on the third shot, he hits the king. Uh, so the king gets shot, he gets wounded, gets taken off the battlefield. Uh, then Matthew Lillard, uh, because of the ninja and Jason Satham, basically his side is defeated, so he has to run away, and then he gets captured by the druid lady, sprite, nymph, barbarian, Amazon, Cirque du Soleil people in the forest, and given to Lily Sobieski's character, who I will completely admit, when she puts the armor on, nerd boner. <laughs> so she decides that she wants to fight, and she's out trying to do something. She runs into the dryads, you know, barbarian, Amazon, whatever. So she brings him back, and that's when they have this duel and right at the end, when Matthew Lillard is finally defeated and he's about to be killed, there's the announcement that the king is dead. So, of course, Matthew Lillard, his character is the nephew of the king, he instantly becomes the king, and the captain of the guard is no longer able to harm him, and he has to let him up. In most movies or stories, which this would have been a plot point that lasted about a, at least like a minute before you have the next revelation on top, but not here. No, here they decided to go ahead and just be like, I ah, just kidding. He's the king's son, so he's actually the king. The end. But there was a really cool moment, not cool, but really kind of depressing, where Matthew Litter's like, Oh, I'm the fucking king. You can't kill me. I'm awesome. Everybody cheer for me. I'm the fucking king. Nobody said a damn word. No one responded. No one knelt. No one cheered. He's like, I'm the king. Hip, hip, hooray for me. And everyone's dead silent. And then Gimli walks up. He's like, oh, fuck this guy. This dude's the king. And everyone drops to their knees and salutes, and it's awesome. Uh, But going back again, because that's what we do, we left out this whole part with, uh, what's her name? Uh, Leela Sobieski. She is the daughter of the Gimli mage. Correct. And he's the mage of the king. She's supposed to have magic powers, but Gimli wouldn't teach her. So Ray Liotta would teleport into her bedroom and among doing other implied grown-up things was teaching her magic. But then she would also learn how to fight with the captain of the guard. And that there was a scene at the very beginning of the movie where she's dueling with him And he's like, oh, if only we had more soldiers like you in our army. And she's like, oh, well, you should let me enlist. And he's like, shut the fuck up. You're a girl. Yeah, go practice holding your wand. Pretty much. If you know what I mean. Right. (laughs) His wand. (laughs) Um, And then later, yeah, and then later on she suits up in the armor. (laughs) Or a personal massaging wand. And the battle and saves the day. Yeah. And that's. Oh, yeah, definitely. And that is clearly, and I'm going to screw the name up. Who is the character in Lord of the Rings? Uh it's not Erwin, it's like Eowyn. It's the the Oh yeah, the the one that the one that was the sword that maiden and they wouldn't let her fight. Yes. And then she put on the armor and pretended to be a boy and actually was the one the only one to actually hurt the uh Wraith King at the end. Right, because she's not a 
man or whatever is woman born or whatever the hell that was. No man born by woman could hit, kill him, and she was a woman. And I like that's all I could think of outside of the fact that I had a ner- nerd boner because Lily Sobieski was actually pretty hot in the armor. Uh, was like this is clearly what they're going for here. Th- that uh, that sort of feeling of, of uh, Erwin or Erwin, however you say her name, uh, which isn't necessarily a bad thing, but it, I just thought it was like a little maybe too close. Oh yeah, a lot of this movie was borderline Lord of the Rings ripoff. Well, you did have Gimli and Legolas in it. Yeah, but it wasn't really Legolas. I mean, this was like bargain basement Legolas. This was probably his stunt double from one of the films. I actually, yeah, I kind of thought that. They just kept the wig. Yeah, yeah. I mean, when when we sit, yeah, when we've been referring to this Legolas-looking dude, he's just a white dude with Legolas hair. Yeah. I mean, it was the Halloween wig from you know, party zone USA <laughs> and they threw a shirt on him. Yeah. That, that was who this guy that was. That's pretty much it. And then, and then blah, blah, blah. We're going to fight the whole armies. Oh God, we can't fight them all off. Well, a party of four can certainly bypass and find the weak spot in the doom army, whatever. Cause yeah, it, it was the, it was the, Oh, here's the fortress of the wizard. Well, there's one weak spot, which was a door on the back ass end of the mountain, which is pretty much from the Hobbit. Uh, I mean, other than speaking yeah, friend yeah, the, and entering, the, the, that's basically what they were what they were doing. Um, the mages, Gimli, decides to go fight, um, which this was another part that I actually found kind of interesting, is the mages uh, was saying that, uh, that the mages' power comes from servitude to a king. How is it you have this power yeah. when you don't have a king? And I actually thought that was kind of an interesting backstory which i would have liked to have seen explored maybe they'll hook that up in the sequels who knows haven't seen them yet but the way they got around oh, it they don't sorry <laughs> but the way they get around it is he's basically like uh so you know these crumb that i've been uh or the krug i've been uh leading yeah they don't have a king uh so i kind of made myself the king yeah like that's the way around it talk about that's a, a fucking really good really good impression yeah <laughs> Let, I want to just I want to just pause for a second and point out how awesome Michael's impression of Ray Liotta was, <laughs> and I, and you need to stop doing Jamaican accents and just do Ray Liotta accents. Yeah, so you know uh, every game so you're you know in. These, uh, these yeah, uh, they don't have a king, so uh, gotta make one himself. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, but yeah, you're right. I I really liked that mechanical aspect that they brought up that the the magi the wizard the wise man only had his power because he served the king so there's a really interesting dynamic there if this was a D campaign that would be a really cool thing to explore that the the wizard the the main advisor of the king only has his power when he is truly serving the king and the fact that ray Liotta as the bad guy got his power because he declared himself a king of these Krugs so that he was his own magi. That's kind of a cool thing that got totally glossed over in 30 seconds of exposition yeah. before they fought each other with computer-generated swords. <laughs> and then, uh, now that uh, the farmer has traversed the, the pit of doom and climbed into the secret hole in the back, he confronts Ray Liotta. And this is, this is where we have the barbarian lady throwing the, the rock across the mountain. Yeah, this is where we started. This was how we, we were back to there. the beginning. Right. Because the, the, the party of four that, that crossed the enemy lines pretty much instantly, by the way, let's not go over that. 
They they were facing off with the giant Krug army, and Burt Reynolds says, hey, just go around there, and they show up there, no problem. It was Farmer, it was the Gimli Wizard, it was the Hot Chick Wizard, and the leader of the barbarian Cirque du Soleil people for no apparent reason. Terminator Chick. She totally left her army of the force. They're like, yeah, I'll go with you. Because I guess they looked at the encounter chart for the <laughs> campaign and they saw that one of the requirements was throw a goddamn rock across a fucking mountain. And she's like, well, I'm the only one who put ranks in that. Yeah, I have ranks so in So I better come use, with you. So it's got to be me. Can I use my Cirque du Soleil, Cirque <laughs> yeah, Soleil exactly. background points for that? So, so they they actually also predated Thirteenth uh, yeah, oh, Age. Yeah, yeah they, they invented Thirteenth Age. Yeah, yeah, they, they definitely have some Thirteenth Age backgrounds in there. That counts. So, so Gimli Wizard teleports into the mountain, leaving the other three guys totally alone. Uh, Cirque du Soleil chick has to throw a rock across a mountain, defy physics, swing over with Jason Statham, as Michael so wonderfully described earlier. Uh, flicking him off the end of the rope slamming him into the mountain obviously rupturing all of his internal organs but it doesn't matter because he's awesome that's right and then he climbs up the rest of the way and then she's gone she never shows up again she's like well i got my xp i'm out (laughs) mic drop done i like to think that she's still hanging at the bottom of that rope somewhere because how did she get back like there's there's no way that that there's like she would have just fallen with the rope to the bottom of the well, cavern. What what I envisioned was that the rope actually did a full 360 degree off the top of the mountain and she ended up right where she started. That makes sense. I I can definitely After see. she went all the way around like a merry-go-round. Yeah. Correct. So then Jason Statham goes in and he starts fighting Ray Liotta. Who we mentioned earlier is dressed like Liberace and Neo. From the Matrix. Well, he was Liberace in the beginning because his big giant trench coat was this cool kind of dark sapphire blue, but it had rhinestones all over the front. And he had an ascot. Hey, ascots are awesome. They weren't. He was wearing one. It was quite nice. Yeah. Yeah. And then at the end of the movie, when he's converted fully into I'm the bad guy in case you didn't notice, then he has on the black Neo trench coat. Which is apropos because and apparently he does the Matrix move. Oh, yeah, he absolutely does. Only worse. <laughs> because instead of the Matrix move, he just kind of leans backwards a little bit and they just freeze the film. And he's got that goofy look on his face where he's like, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it's just slow motion. Jason Statham almost punching him. That was kind of it. Yeah. And then they end up on like a... So then they fight. Well, they, well, there's one thing important. They end up on like a bridge that's got like an iron railing. And there's a moment where Farmer jumps up and does like the splits so that he is sp- splayed out on these two railings. And I really want Mythbusters to tackle that. Which is which is from Bloodsport, right? Pretty yeah, much. Yeah, I mean, that was just, that was just the Bloodsport, Johnny Cage split split kick kind of thing. And Ray doesn't even punch him in the balls. I mean, it's right there. It's right there. But again, I want the Mythbusters to like, to like go, is this something that you would work in a fight? Is there ever a time where doing this is better than not doing anything at all? Cause I'm going to guess that that would be busted. Right. And l- let's also point out that this dumb little bridge thing they were on was actually the upper balcony level of Ray Liotta's wizard's library. Cause they were fighting. 
They do the whole fake-ass Matrix thing, and Ray Liotta flies up to the top of the balcony, and he's like, oh, you can't get me up here. And Jason Statham doesn't even really climb up. He kind of half jumps, half parkours. It's like wire foo, Altair, Assassin's Creed sort of thing. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it, th- there were so much. There was so much horrible wire work in this movie, and he just shows up on top of the balcony, and they keep sword fighting, and then he jumps on top of the balcony and does the splits for no reason, does not get punched in the balls magically. <laughs> uh, at, and now at, at, it might it was either right before that or right after that where the Ray Liotta wizard actually like summons a magical tornado. In this library, that's, that's after and has all the books. Yeah, that's that's how that fight ends. Is that all the books attack him and like hold him down? Like the books open up and clamp on his wrists and his legs, and uh, Ray Liotta is about to fry him again. That's a really cool thing. Yeah, that's a really cool thing. If if this was a D and D campaign, that would be a really cool trap where you're in the library and all of a sudden the books come to life and the book pins you to the ground like manacles over your wrists and ankles. That's an awesome thing to happen. Yeah. I, again, I thought that was, yeah. Uh, so he's about to, uh, he's about to fireball him in the face when Lily Sobieski's character, who once her dad dies, she sort of like inherits, just like farmer inherits the kingdom. Apparently she inherits, inherits the power to be a Magi. So she teleports in there as well. Now she, uh, she gets the rest of her father's power. She shows up, deflects the fireball just enough for Farmer to get away. I think at that point, Farmer's wife stabs him and Ray Liotta in the back with a sword. I kind of think in right. kind of the end of the movie, right? Because it because at that right at that almost at at that point there was all this stupid monologuing about who was going to have revenge on who, and Farmer's wife who was beaten up in the back because because Ray Liotta had like backhanded her across the room at one point. Uh, after that really, really, really creepy monologue about basically raping her with magic. But then it was like, oh, you're also pregnant with Farmer's Kid. Out of nowhere, just totally threw that in there. So she had gotten backhanded across the room. She wakes up. They're talking about who's going to have revenge on who. And then she runs across the room with a sword and says something about, well, how about the revenge of a mother? And stabs him in the back. Which again goes exactly back to the whole uh, born of a man, man born thing. Those are different characters, but it's the same concept as that. Sure. Yeah, it's the same thing. Like you forgot about me, bitch. Yeah. Right. Exactly. And then Jason Statham gets his sword back, and in a scene straight out of every samurai showdown ever, they charge at each other. Jason Statham hits first, runs past him. And poses, and then Ray Liotta grabs his throat, sees the blood, and falls down dead. It's basically the cutscene from the original Ninja Gaiden video game from the Nintendo. Like the very first cutscene, the two ninjas go by, there's a flash, and then one ninja falls apart. Yep. That's pretty much exactly And the other one's at the other end of the screen, holding his sword behind him in the pose. It's exactly what he was doing. No kidding, no (laughs) exaggeration. It was a ninja cut pose other guy falls down dead 30 seconds after realizing he's been killed yes and and then well then we have the farmer goes and saves well we have the avengers movie 
finale. So again, Joss Whedon, first of all, he stole Captain America's shield bash from the boomerang. Then he stole the end of the Avengers movie from here because once they killed Ray Liotta, all the crumb or crud just leave. They just wander off. They're like, they're done. Oh, that yeah, that's right. Right, because apparently Ray Liotta's magic controlled all of them. So when Ray Liotta dies, all fighting instantly stops and they just walk away. Yep. Not not they fall over dead, not they get captured. They literally just drop their weapons and walk away. And the soldiers are like, oh, they're walking away. I guess we let them. Yay! That's G.I. Joe logic. Well, they'll come back and kill us next time, but for today we're G.I. G.I. Joe log it. Yep. Let's also point out that the, that while this fight was happening in the wizard's library, the soldiers were having this down and out huge struggle with the Krug. It was raining over there. Horrible, miserable, middle of the night rain. But it was broad daylight over on top of the mountain. Well, they actually showed that. That, that, that was magic. Cause you could actually, as, as our, our dagger, our four heroes were traversing along the outskirts to the wizard's keep, they showed the storm brewing in the valley below. So it, it was bullshit, but at least it was explained bullshit. Sure. But it, it just has to be pointed out. Yeah. So Ray, Ray Liotta dies. The bad guys all walk away. The good guys let him. And then, uh, the good guy kisses his wife. And the movie's over. Yeah. And the reason that Ray Liotta told her that she was going to have a son was, again, going back to our Book of Job thing in the beginning, that's how we know that everything's okay and that it's okay that his son died because he was going to be gifted with another son, which evens everything out. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So it's just a a no-loss situation. Yep. So everything's okay there. Everything's fine. And then, yeah, and then they kiss and credits. Yep. Dun, 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 no resolution, dun, 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 no dun, 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 dun. no epilogue. Everything's okay. They don't even have that weird montage where they show like, you know, the character like 12 years in the future, like, you know, this guy became a stockbroker, uh, you know, this person owns his own uh, car <laughs> shop, car dealership. No, just leave you hanging. And I fully expected at some point to like Ron Perlman to burst out of the grave looking for his shoe because he wasn't actually dead. <laughs> Where's my damn shoe? Where's my damn shoe. That, <laughs> that, hey, hey, that was an excellent Ron Perlman impression as well. <laughs> We're really deepening your 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 celebrity impersonation yeah. this, today. This is awesome. That might become a bit like I'll just on every episode. This is, this is profitable. That's right. <laughs> So hey, let's hear let's hear from Ray Liotta today. <laughs> um, so you hey, know this... hey, Ray Liotta, what do you think about Dungeons and Dragons? Uh, you know, I, uh, Ray, hey, Ron Perlman, can you weigh in? Ron Perlman, can you weigh in on our gamers lexicon tonight? Oh, yeah, yeah, it's like my shoe. Yeah, <laughs> where's my shoe? Where's my shoe. That's all. That's all he does. <laughs> <laughs> Give me the chicken. Nom nom nom. <laughs> that was another example of a person. Who should not be uh, that stupid making a really stupid face. And that's about five minutes into the movie. Ron Perlman <laughs> demanding the chicken <laughs> with the dumbest face in the world. Give me the chicken. Nom, 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 nom. Oh. Where's the chicken? Ah, rah, rah. So, <laughs> so this movie, uh, I could not watch it in one setting. But having said that, 
I think it's a better movie than any of the Dungeons and Dragons movies. Oh, absolutely. Beyond a doubt. It had, it had better acting. This is going to sound really weird, but it was a better plot. It had slightly better effects. It, it certainly had a more coherent, tangible world system mechanical background the monsters were i mean there there weren't really monsters and beasts in this movie like a lot of the D movies had a dragon or a big thing that was fought in the name of the king just had the army of these krug whatevers which were just guys in costumes they right. didn't even ha- really have that much going on but it, it was still a little bit better absolutely for for all of our mocking if you just look at this movie as a cheesy sword and sorcery fantasy trope movie, it's actually pretty good. It, it works. It, it's a it's a cohesive storyline. It's cheesy and predictable, but it's a sword and sorcery fantasy predictable movie. It's not completely stupid. It had these crazy leaps of logic and these plot holes. But it really did remind me of a D&D campaign, more so than any of the D&D movies, that it was like, yeah, I mean, basically, this is the, your first D&D adventure. You come up with this idea, I got this king, and there's the nephew, and he wants to kill him, and the mages are fighting, and, and you know, you're a farmer, but you're a hero, and there's tragedy, but there's, you know, it 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 felt more like a D&D game than any of the D&D movies did, and partly, I think, because of the lack of dragons and you know like the epic levelness because you know a lot of your games at least mine always start off lower level than that and you built to that uh you turn out that you're the son of the king like clearly this is like someone's first D D campaign and i appreciated that a lot more than i did the D D movie and even with its many flaws and it's not a good movie that that alone that sort of tongue-in-cheek makes me smile moments uh were, were worth it I actually, uh, I have to say, I I kind of liked it in a weird sort of way. Yeah, no, I agree with you. Uh, it's absolutely a horrible movie if you compare it to really, really good fantasy movies like the Lord of the Rings movies. Any of the really classic sword and sorcery flicks, it's kind of horrible. But on its own, it stands up pretty well. I don't want to give these people more credit than they're due, but it's kind of like the movie was written and done with a wink and a nod. Everyone knew they were in on the joke about making a really cheesy, over-the-top, kind of stupid movie because that's what you do with that kind of movie. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that was the intention, but you could read into it and say that's kind of what happened. Yeah. So in general... In the Name of the King, A Dungeon Siege Tale, is horribly cheesy. There's a lot of really stupid parts, but the story is pretty good. Uh, There's some good action. Uh, There's some good fight scenes. It's kind of a weird mix-up of kind of a Jason Statham action movie set in a sword and sorcery fantasy world. Uh, There's some really great actors doing some kind of stupid things. You're going to laugh a lot at how dumb it is, but you're not going to really be disappointed at the story. And when else are you going to are you going to see Ron Perlman 
Burt Reynolds, Jason Statham, Ray Liotta, Lily Sobieski, and Matthew Lillard in the same movie again. Yeah, wearing Ren Fair costumes. Mm-hmm. I mean, come on. Yeah. It's Never going to happen again. So for No, th- it's also on Netflix, so you don't have to go buy it. <laughs> there, Yeah, that's true. Does not Unless you don't have Netflix, which who the fuck doesn't have Netflix these days? Uh, definitely. I don't know why you wouldn't. Again, I, I have to say, I I think if you're listening to this, if we haven't spoiled it too hard, go watch it. It You will be laughing sometimes with it, mostly at it, but it is enjoyable in that regard. But again, I couldn't watch more than 20 minutes at a time because my brain hurt, but I still got through it all and I had fun doing it. Uh, I had fun with this conversation, which most of the D&D movies, I had more fun in the conversation than I did the movie. This was a little bit more balanced out. Uh, I think if we had had a patron or two to join us, it would have been a little bit better. So please, uh, our next movie is going to be, surprise, surprise, Dungeon Siege 2, The Siegeanine, I think is what it's called. Uh, which I believe is also <laughs> on Netflix. Uh, hold hold on, let me uh, let me check the literature. Yes, that is the exact <laughs> correct title. You nailed it. Which, if I'm not correct, is is Dolph Lundgren in that movie? Yep. I'll have to work on my Dolph Lundgren impersonation. I I, I will tell you this: as we get into the uh, second and third in the name of the King movie, they get exponentially worse like like you remember how the first D&D movie was pretty shitty but it wasn't terrible and then the next two were just horrible abysmal painful things to witness yeah get prepared for that because it's going to happen again fantastic so a couple things for our listeners Uh, look forward to that we are going to try to do it in March we got a lot going on in March, so it may slip into April, but that is our goal to try to do it again fairly quickly. If you would like to play along, uh, one, all you got to do is watch the movie. Two, become a patron at any level, and uh, you will get the invite when we do this next time, and you can join in the conversation, and uh, we will record them. And if it works out, we're going to post them on the on the podcast. So, um, yeah, become part of the show. But I think that's it for me. Caleb, do you have any last words before we wrap this up? Nope, I think we've said enough today. I would agree. So this has been Michael. And Caleb. And we will see you next time. Bum, bum, bum. Thanks for attending the RPG Academy and listening to our podcast. We do this out of love for the hobby and for you, our fans. This podcast and site content will always be free for you to enjoy and utilize. But we do have expenses related to the show. If you'd like to help out in any way, please visit patreon.com slash the RPG Academy and check out the rewards we are providing for your monthly pledges. We will use all funds that come in to improve the show and give you better content and quality. And if you don't have the coin to spend, don't worry. You can still help us out numerous ways. One, you can subscribe to our show on iTunes, or you can leave us a five-star review on iTunes or on Stitcher Radio. Also, if you clear your cookies and then visit Amazon or drive through RPG through our portal, we get a kickback from your orders and it doesn't cost you anything extra. Just like an RPG, our site works best with open lines of communication. We love talking with our listeners about everything. Please contact us with any questions, concerns, and comments you have. We also love to hear feedback and experiences from your own games. 
you can email us via podcast at vrpgacademy.com. Or you can reach us on social media, such as Facebook and Google+. We are there under the RPG Academy. But Twitter is usually the fastest way to reach us. You can find my favorite co-host, Caleb G, at the Caleb G. And you can find my favorite co-host, Michael, at the RPG Academy. Thanks for listening. And as always, if you're having fun, you're doing it right. <laughs>